Hello and welcome to an Inform Life Radio on 11:50 a.m. KKNW and streaming to CHD TV. Welcome on this a, a kind of a crazy day. I think. I think maybe we're heading toward a full moon or something's going on because I tell you, every little thing that could go slightly off has gone slightly off. But rather than consider it as something bad happening, I'm going to consider that when things are trying to line up, you get a little bit of readjustment and there's bumps. Okay. So we got a couple bumps in the road uh, that are happening right now. Um, But that's okay. We're going to make it work. Um, You know, this is life and, and we're here and we're going to get her done and nothing's going to stop us from having this wonderful freedom of speech a couple of hours. So glad you're with us here today. Um, I want to say, as I usually do, that the views expressed are not necessarily those of our wonderful 1150 AM KKNW, the great platform for free speech here, or CHD TV. Um, So just know that we're just having conversation here. There's our own thoughts. This is not medical advice, and this is not legal advice. This is just us having real dialogue, which is what makes America great, which was what makes freedom great, is freedom of speech, expression, And what has been missing so much in civil society today is real discussion and real dialogue. So, you know, that's what we try to bring here. We try to bring you voices that are being censored from mainstream media so that you can, um, you know, you can have all these differing views and go explore to find out um, what you think and what informs your life. So today, this first hour, I'm so very glad to have with us uh, a woman who I met a couple years ago in Olympia, uh, Washington. Both of us there march in the halls, um, fighting for medical freedom, parental rights, that sort of thing. Her name is Sharon Hannock. Um, and I'm, it's so exciting to have Sharon with us today because she was able to get into the studio. So here I am remote to our own show. And there's Sharon live in studio. Sharon, welcome to an Informed Life Radio. Thank you, Bernadette. And I think I'm new to all your listeners and watchers out there. Um, My first time being on your show. And I look forward to the conversation that we're going to have because it, it is about free speech. It is also about saying the things that we wish our legislators had heard from us while they were mm-hmm. making the laws but mm-hmm. didn't. And so now we're having these mandates and terrible um, laws that are coming to us as families. And I'm a mom, I'm a grandma, and family is important to me as it is to, I'm sure, many of the folks listening. And that's where we want to take this. We want you to understand what is happening and what could happen to your family. Yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? Um we want to inform people about what's going on so they wake up and, and you know, make some decisions. Unfortunately, Sharon, what we have seen over the years is this slippery slope of 
relinquishing of parental rights um, in so many ways, all dressed up in pretty ribbons, all dressed up in beautiful language so that people who aren't really understanding where it's heading, um, they, they don't get it. They think, well, what's wrong with that? That sounds okay. You know, and we're, you try to warn them and, and we're in a war of words right here. War, you know, propaganda. I hate the word propaganda, but marketing war, you know, you really have this sort of global movement for governments to control every aspect of our children's lives and to cut us out of the picture. And and it's not just the war of the words, it's the bait and switch of certain language. So mm-hmm. you're told and you're presented a situation that it will look and act a certain way. And then once it's implemented, they start switching around the words. And the devil is in the details. And mm-hmm. so as I go and look at laws that they passed, it is a setup for the next law and a setup for the next law until we yes. get to where we are today. Yes. that And that's it. Um you know, and and I do understand. Sorry, I'm kind of getting our other our kind of co-host chatter uh, set up with the link here. Um, it's hard to explain that to people because yeah. it, it's such a big thing when you begin to see it, isn't it? And it, there, it does sound like conspiracy. <laughs> I think so many of us trust. And that's part of it. We are nice people and we think other people are nice like us. And mm-hmm. that that there is, and it may not be that that legislator, that teacher, that you know whoever, but there is a system of way of thinking that is being forced upon us to kind of put us in this box that we're in, and in that process, we don't suspect that the teacher or the nurse or the doctor that we had twenty years ago and mm-hmm. now is still in practice and is taking care of our children. Well, we're thrilled because we love that teacher. We love that doctor. Yes. And all of a sudden, because of things happening, because of pressures for them from government systems and licensing and requirements, all of a sudden they have to say certain things and act like there are certain things, which are not what they may even want themselves, but it's the system. And now right. we're stuck in it where yeah. they have to allow 13-year-olds to make their own medical decisions. And we as parents say, why? You know, wait, I, I want to be in the room with them. And the doctor yeah. who we loved said, sorry, you can't. Now, how do we get here? Right, right. Like and I, I love how you bring, you're describing that because this is so important. When we talk about like there's this global effort to remove parental rights and do all of this stuff, the majority of the people who are being pressured and implemented to do this to us are not bad people. They're not the enemy per se, right? These are good people just doing what they think they need to do. Um, They're being educated by, you know, certain materials or being pushed in a certain way. So we really have to try very hard with our own language not to create even more barriers by accusing them of you're being bought off or you're you know you're harming our kids because they don't and they're not right, right. so we that's why dialogue is so important if we could get parents in these all the entities that are trying to push against us so that together as one we stand up and make sure good laws pass and bad laws don't um, you know, that's where it needs to go. And I think that's why censorship is so dangerous because it prevents people being informed enough to have civil dialogue 
for, you know, for yeah. uh, good protective of civilian society legislation and things to happen. I see that our, um, our other person, we've got Catherine Green. We made it in through a series of trial and errors. There's my Catherine. So hello. So I, I want to welcome um, to the discussion today, Catherine Green, who is um, head of the Oregon chapter of Children's Health Defense. Um, so Catherine, meet Sharon. Hello. Hi, Sharon. It's a pleasure. <laughs> um, and I'm so glad, and we're just getting started on this. We had some introductory conversation about where we're going, uh, realizing that there's there's a lot of good people caught up in, in some really bad policies, um, you know, going on. And we want to make sure we don't call everybody the enemy, even as we're, we call out bad laws and we try to get things changed. Um but why I'm so glad that both of you are here today is because in Washington State, there was a bill that was numbered, what, 5599, is that correct, yes. Sharon? Um, that passed and became law. And in Oregon, there's similar legislation that is being posed. So um, this conversation is so important. And of course, when it passes in one state, other states like, oh, hey, it passed there, we can try here. And we do not want this to become model legislation. We want this to become something that nobody will ever pass and that Washington state actually repeals. So before we get going here, what I want to do is read to you the troublesome part of what became the law. This section of law deals with uh, homeless children and runaway children and how you're, you need to, if a minor who is away from home, away from their legal guardian or their parent without that parent's permission, what has to happen? And in this law, there's a lot of uh, language that says you have to contact authorities and the parents have to be contacted. The problem is this, is the language that says that when there are compelling reasons to not tell the parents, you don't have to tell them. You do have to kind of tell certain authorities, but you don't have to tell the parents. Um, the language says that circumstances that indicate that notifying the parent or legal guardian will subject the minor to abuse or neglect as defined in, and it describes abuse or neglect per um existing Washington state law, but then here's the new language, or when a minor is seeking or received protected health care services. Protected health care services means gender affirming treatment as defined in, and then it gives the law, and reproductive health care services as defined in the law. So if a minor child is seeking those and they want run away from home, then legally the government says you can hide them. Um, so Sharon, did I, am I understanding that? Is that a correct um, summary yes. of the worst bits and, of this? And although it presents, and it is in a code section that talks about homeless children and runaway children, a year or perhaps two years ago, there was another redefinition of the concept of runaway children are children who are not with their parents. And the question became, if the child just takes off for a little while, they actually have a home that loves them, will take them in, they have a place to stay at night, but they just decide they don't want to go home, then could they be put in this category of runaway kids? 
And mm-hmm. so it was, the definition was broadened a couple of years ago. Again, this is this, that slippery slope. So if the child might declare themselves to be a runaway because they're mad at mom and dad, then they can automatically start to fall down this category. And if they have this compelling reason of wanting gender-affirming care or reproductive health services, then definitely they will be whisked away from their parents. The state will be notified, but the shelter that they are put in, the home they are put in, has no requirement at all to notify the parents. There is some language to say that you must attempt you know, you must attempt. But when I look at you must attempt, um, what we've seen in actual practicality and how it's being applied, there really mm-hmm. is, you know, it, it's the attempt is going to be, gee, little girl, do you really want to tell your mom? And she says, no, my mom would be mad at me. Okay, yeah. we don't have to tell your mom now. It's right. the child determining that attempt. The child determining and and. Also, it it talks about trying to negotiate some sort of reconciliation between the parent and the child. A major problem with this is the state of Washington, public health authorities believe that minor gender affirming care is necessary medical treatment. They believe that um, a minor seeking abortion is necessary treatment. They're going to side on the side of, you know, they're not going to, they're not a non-biased entity, you know? So if a parent for whatever reason they have is opposed, you know, you know, let's say that it's a mainly a religious objection to any of this, their religious rights to raise their child as they see fit are being completely overridden. Um, There's just so many things that are, that are harmful in this. And it, I don't understand how the state can always side on this on a minor child, given that we know that, oh, so many things, uh, 70 to 95 percent of, of um, depending on the study you're looking at, of minors who have gender confusion resolve to their birth gender by the time they're 21, or most of them by the time they're 18. And so you're going to allow some uh, a child who's run away from home to seek this as their right to do, knowing that there was only, you know, a, a 10% chance that that's truly where they would have been a few years from now. That is so dangerous. dangerous. And there's the fact that minors, um, they know for everything, for criminal law, Criminal law, they state all of these things about executive functioning skills, about, um, you know, the maturity of the brain, the um, giving into impulse. And one of the biggest that criminal law completely acknowledges is um, peer pressure and, and fads and trends and all of that, pressuring children to do things they shouldn't do. And in that case, it's criminal things. And so none of this makes any sense. And then, right. and you brought up that 13-year-old making a decision, and there are some assumptions. When you listen to the testimony on this bill, there was an assumption that was alluded to that said just because the parent was a faith-based parent, that mm-hmm. assumption was they would not affirm what their child was doing. So don't bother telling them. And, and again, you have the policies in the school system <clears throat> called Policy 3211, 
that the school teachers are now being trained that if the child is considering changing their gender and tells the teacher to use this new name, the teacher is prohibited. They cannot tell the parents. And again, it's the child making that decision, do I want my mom or dad to know? So all of this emphasis on a child as young as 13 years old Mm -hmm. and letting them make all the decisions for them without any parent intervention. Right. And, you know, Sharon um, and Catherine, you know this too, in in many decisions that those of us in sort of the parental rights, medical freedom, informed consent movement that we're immersed in, there are many reasons to oppose what's being pushed. You can have a religious um, uh, opposition to vaccination, to a vaccine to component component to so many aspects of vaccination. You can always have always also have a scientific objections because you've read the research on lipid nanoparticles and spike protein and you know whatever and you've got a scientific objection. You have mm. a personal objection. You've got a medical objection. And the way they try to categorize us, I'm I'm concerned they're going to do the same thing with all of these topics. It's like, oh, you already said you were religiously objective. So you go talking about science. That's not valid. You said it was religion. Well, why can't it be both? Why can't you have multiple reasons to oppose something, right? So I feel like they're going to try to compartmentalize and and label and divide and do all that, which we we really um, have to watch. Senate Bill 5599, when asked specifically, is there an age limit for this bill to apply? And the answer was no. So you can have a 10-year-old that could be taken out of the parent's home because a 10-year-old has said that, you know, that they wanted to change their gender or or one of these protective health care services. And the other assumption, um, there are parents that love their kids and also they don't mind that the kids might be changing. That's not a big issue for them. They just don't want their 11-year-old to be taking puberty blockers or hormone treatment or doing things that can alter their growth of their body. And that if they were 18 years old, fine, that's fine. And I've actually talked to parents that said, if my daughter was 18, you know, that's her decision, but I don't Mm -hmm. want her at 16 years old to be doing all of this treatment. And now, and now let's say mom and daughter get in a fight. Daughter has a place to go to, and we don't know how easy it will be to get that child back because you can't find the child. And even now when certain situations are happening, there are stories about parents trying to find their child and they legally can't. So they're finally able to get reunited with their child. But once this law takes effect, then there is no reason. And there's another law called the the shield law. And that did have a um, emergency clause on it, which means we cannot do a referendum on it. That went into effect immediately which limits the ability of a law enforcement officer to communicate with another law enforcement officer in another state if the child Mm -hmm. has run away for these kinds of services. That's very concerning because um, it does seem as if the governor is advertising that Washington state is the place for minors Mm -hmm. to flee to if they want to do something their parents are opposed to. Wow. So Catherine, go ahead. We have the same thing currently going on here in Oregon. So we have a House bill, HB 2002. It's an omnibus bill. So they're tackling changing the law in many categories all at once. They're calling things that I would not call this, right? 
the change of definitions is always one piece of this entire movement. And they call it gender affirming care or reproductive care, right? And this has, as yours has, no age limit whatsoever. So it could be a 10-year-old seeking a, a you know, full-term abortion because we have abortion available up until the time of birth in this state. And the parents are not going to be notified unless the child tells them in writing that they want the parents notified. So how many 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds who are in this predicament and maybe haven't faced the situation that they're in will put in writing that they want their parents notified? I mean, most parents are trying to protect the, their children from these sorts of events, getting pregnant at an early age. And so, of course, the child knows that the parent isn't going to be happy. Um, doesn't mean the child's at risk, and it doesn't mean that they don't desperately need that parent's wisdom. You know, many of us, we're, we're women, and women are supposed to pass on that knowledge of reproduction and how to give birth and what pregnancy is about and what delivering a baby and raising a baby is about. We're supposed to carry on that wisdom to the next generations. The state is stepping in between and saying, A, we know better for your child than you do. And B, we'll make sure you know nothing about what's going on in your child's life in these very critical areas. And C, we'll punish anyone who steps out of line with this. So we have the same thing happening with teachers, with mm -hmm. people in the healthcare, you know, HHS, Department of Health. And the mentality is, is that if a child needs these services or believes they need these services, that in some level the parents are likely to be guilty of something, whether it is that, that they have a religious objection. Most of the people in government that are pushing this or most of the people that are in the belief structures that think all this is normal or okay, they don't have a, a faith-based position in this world. And it seems like humans are becoming commodities to me. That's, that's really what I feel like in this law because it also makes it um, not a crime to conceal the body of a child up for a year after birth. For me, the only people that this law is going to protect, and, I, and I'm sorry to bring these topics up, but I feel like we have to face the fact that sex trafficking goes on, that child sex trafficking goes on. There's no protection for these kids. If they declare themselves a runaway or they're not living at home, immediately the state is going to take control over this health care. And a lot of money is made with this. I mean, we don't let people rent cars, right? The car rental companies don't rent cars to people under the age of 24 because they know the risk benefit mechanisms in the brain aren't fully online yet. But we're allowing children in Oregon, it's already 15. At 15, any child can have any medical, any medical intervention they wish, and the parents have nothing to say. I think that's much too young. It's much too young. They can't possibly know the consequences. They can't possibly know the consequences of taking puberty blockers. They don't know the consequences of extreme surgical. These are experimental procedures. And we've rushed into a world in which I feel like the human body is sort of just a commodity. It's just a commodity. And people provide, quote, services 
but there's a lot of money being made. And I think yeah, we yeah. have to look at that. We and, always and have to look at that. Go ahead, Sharon. Go ahead, Sharon. And the services. So there's going to be services provided. And who's paying for that? The taxpayers. So I believe that there's going to be shelters and um, that are going to be popping up should this law be continuing to exist. And we don't know who's running the shelters. Um, I know that in some of the other um, re- prisoner release programs, it's been outsourced. So, it's, so although we say the government, we, we may think there's a certain amount of integrity if, we, if there's you know, in, in the government running it. But really what they're doing is they're allowing some nonprofit, somebody who just comes in, and again, that concept of, of sex trafficking or human mm-hmm. trafficking for children, that could be a very real thing because we don't know who's running these shelters and what kind of accountability right. those shelters are going to have. Yeah, and we're we're going to move now to the opposition to this and the attempts to repeal this awful law. Um, but but first, I want to say it's one a, a huge concern is this. It's like for the majority of the minors who leave home because of the issues that we're discussing here. The most, the biggest thing they're actually avoiding is that conversation with their parent. For for all of existence, parents and children of a certain age have had to have the most awkward conversations ever, having to do with sex, with whatever, right? And so it's like to avoid that conversation, which is what really needs to happen for that family, for the growth to happen, for the minor to, you know, make a mistake. Yeah, mom's going to be mad about this or that, or it's difficult to have these conversations, but these conversations need to happen. And whatever the family decides moving forward, you've got that family love and support to help you move forward through this. But a child who's away from home and is in a care facility, who loves that child? Who, who's going to look after any adverse reactions? Who's going to, you know, to to any of the surgeries or the drugs or the procedures that are done to the child, right? I mean, so you're going to end up kids with more anxiety, more depression, put on more drugs. It's just this horrible slope. And we need to have laws that strengthen the family union, you know? I mean, yeah. I would rather see something where you, you've got support services that just help parents and teens talk to each other in difficult times, right? Help them make that difficult thing. A mom, I'm pregnant. Okay. Help them make this conversation happen and then let the family deal with it in the way that family does. Okay. Enough of my preaching. I was going to say this. That's an interesting angle in that anyone who's really looked at the sex education curriculum over the past 10 years, what I started to see was a lot of very emotionally intrusive questions where the the 13-year-old child is asking mom, you know, name some trash words you would use for the private parts. And, I mean, that was actually one of the assignments I saw in one of the books. Or, you know, they're trying to get the parents to let down their guard and talk more about sexuality issues to their children. And that's embedded in a lot of the sexual curriculum as, you know, parent homework or, you know, ask your parents these questions. How old were you when you first had sex? You know, those kinds of questions. And yet... It's interesting what you're saying about this whole gender transition. They're not trying to engage the parents in that yeah. discussion at all. They want to yeah. cut you from your parents. And that's that's a um, yeah. another interesting angle to this. Well, and if I had a daughter, I would be saying to her, honey, don't let any man trash talk you. 
you stay classy. It's about the romance. And if they're not going to, you know, you're not going to marry the guy if he's not going to give you romantic language. If he's trying to talk dirty to you, you stay away from that guy. <laughs> I mean, that's what I would say. I'm not going to teach well, no kid how to trash talk. I, that, I figure when they did, did that, what do you call <laughs> refusal skills? The refusal skills is to take your fist and, and if the guy keeps... <laughs> Yeah. pushing on you that's what your knee is for right, knee, right. <laughs> that's refusal skills yeah refusal skills okay so but sharon hannock you amazing woman you and others are working on um i believe yesterday we talked about both a referendum and an initiative so i want you There's, to tell people about those and where they can go sign up because you've got a limited amount of time to get signatures to get this done right so what we have going on, first, we don't always like to be on defense, but right now with the referendum, we are on a defense. Okay. There's a law that passed, a bad law that passed, and now we want to stop it and overturn it. That's a defensive measure, and that is when you have a tool called the referendum. Our founding fathers of Washington State gave us two tools, a referendum and an initiative. The referendum is so that we can overturn bad laws and the initiative is to create new laws. When I say we, I mean it is the voters, it is the citizens of Washington State that take part in this process, and not enough of us can do it. All we need is 8% of the voters for initiative and 4% of the voters for a referendum. Those are just rough, roughly people who there's a specific number as calculated by the Secretary mm -hmm. of State. But we mm -hmm. need to have 200,000 signatures by July 15th so that we could have them all processed and turned into the Secretary of State by July 22nd on a referendum. So if there are people listening and you know 20 friends, all we need is to get everybody on board to sign the referendum. You can go to their website, reject5599.com, and right now they're just all you can do is sign in because we're in the process of creating that website. And they will have a map on it so that you will get your signing locations. We want everyone to be energized. And if you can do at least your own signature, but if you can help out a little bit more, we could. you can help out by volunteering at a signing event, um, taking the, the signature, mailing it to your relatives and things in other parts of Washington State. But we, we do really need to push for getting 200,000 signatures by July 15th on the referendum. Then it will go to the ballot box in November where we can vote. This will be our chance as citizens to vote on the law. And then we can vote it down and say reject 5599, the bad bill that passed. Wonderful. Right. Reject 5599.com. I was trying to share right. it and it wasn't and going the, for me. <laughs> but then we also have the offensive strategy, which is the okay. initiative. And that is where we can write and create new law. And there is a parents' rights initiative that will be coming side by side with the referendum. The parents' rights initiative says the parents do have the right to have medical information, to have access to curriculum, to have access to sex ed curriculum, to have access to um, other surveys and, and things that might be shaping the values of your child. Uh, things, And then if your child is leaving campus, they have the right to know before the child is sent off campus. So it's got a list of rights that, that we want to emphasize. These are natural rights that parents should have, but unfortunately in our state, we have to reemphasize them and actually codify them and say 
These are the rights that parents need to maintain and have, and you, the state, have to honor these rights of the parents. That is in the form of an initiative, 2081. 2081, okay. Yes, and that will be coming along with the, uh, um, the referendum, as I said. And they need 400,000 signatures by December 29th. So you okay. So you have a longer period of time to get the signatures. Okay. But we, if you do them side by side, we'll be halfway there by the time July finishes. There's also going to be a police pursuit. There are certain things that are happening, um, whether it's just your car being stolen or uh, people driving into stores and stealing things. But we had a very weak police pursuit law, and the fix was also weak. So we're, we don't want any of those fake fixes. We actually have a better police pursuit law that can help alongside keeping our neighborhoods safe. So we'll okay. be passing out the police pursuit law and the parents' right initiative along with the referendum. And well, we're hoping so if, all of you get on board. Wonderful. I love that. So now, if people sign up at Reject uh, That's 55- for the referendum and Let's Go Washington. Let's go Washington. Is okay. the All one word? two initiatives? Yes, it's let's go wa dot com. Go wa dot com. com is the okay. website. Okay, so we've got let's go wa dot com for the two good initiatives and reject five five nine nine dot com for the referendum to uh, right. overturn this bad law. Um, and you're saying that as the volunteers come together to get outlet places to mm-hmm. sign the referendum, those two initiatives will be available at the same time. Is that right. what you're saying? Yes, we're trying to so package you- the whole deal. And and then they'll probably be coming out by Memorial Day weekend. They'll wonderful. be going to print um, middle of next week. Um, That's wonderful. Um, and Sharon, I to it seems like a lot of signatures. I want you to inspire people to jump on this and help and know it can be successful. Explain what happened in the middle of the pandemic. So what I would say is getting these signatures is going to be practically humanly impossible. However, during the pandemic, during COVID, we got 264,000 signatures in 45 days. And that's why I say when God intervenes, anything can happen. And I'm praying that we are at this point and we have so many believers out there and saying, what can we do? This Mm -hmm. is what you can do. And for those that say, well, it's political. You know, everything that has happened to you has happened because of politics. And Mm -hmm. so now it's time that we, the people, step up and take our role in politics as developed by our Washington Constitution. We have a role. We just sat back and let other people make the laws. When we had this thing called the referendum and the initiative process, they're also known Mm -hmm. as ballot measures. Mm -hmm. These do not need the approval of a legislature, and these do not, they cannot be vetoed by the governor. So this is that pathway where when people step up and become, take their lawmaking role as citizens, we can really make a difference. And it doesn't matter who is in Olympia either at the governor's seat or in the legislature, we can mm-hmm. overcome them by making good law and reversing bad law through this process of ballot measures. It's very exciting. You know, I, I hate that anybody was harmed by the response to COVID, by COVID itself um, and everything, but the silver lining, we have learned how to be 
U.S. citizens, how to be citizens of a free republic. And it's a heck of a lot harder than we realized, because for too long, all we did was work, concentrate our own little world. We went to work. We did this or that. We sat down, turned on something silly on the TV and just like rolled our eyes. If anybody said politicians were corrupt. Oh, nothing you can do about it. You know, and we we were complacent. We didn't get involved. And I mean, I was 50 before I got involved. I'm just as bad as anybody else. But once once I got involved and you two are mama bears, um, you know what it's like now. It's exhausting. Yes. The level that we do it because we do it, what, 70 hours a week. But, you know, even if you just get involved a few hours a week, it's empowering, isn't it? Absolutely. Because you realize the. Yeah. The power of the individual. And, you know, when you, you know, when the first time you visited your capital, Catherine or Sharon, you know, visited Olympia, if you were like me, you were a little bit intimidated. Ooh, there's a senator. Oh, there's the governor, right? But it didn't take long as you learned how the system worked. I still march those halls with respect, but they're my halls. And I strut my halls. I'm like, this is my capital in my state constitution in Tennessee and in Washington. And I'm sure it's the same in Oregon. The people, we, the people are the right. top of the pyramid. We have to reclaim that. Absolutely. And they took it too far. They poked the mama bear and the papa bear. I finally, some papa bears are waking up. It took a long time to get papa bears involved, but finally papa bears are waking up um, to join us here. So, um, Sharon, I'm just so glad that you um, you still got some energy after years of fighting uh, and, a lot and of I would, stuff. I'll do another plug. The My Family, My Choice, yes. that is my political action committee, and I will be promoting those initiatives and any other good ones that come down over the next few days and weeks. And so you'll see those initiatives. Um, we'll find out planning locations at least. You can get information on the MyFamilyMyChoice.org website as well. Wonderful. MyFamilyMyChoice.org. My family. And it's so funny. You're making me remember years ago when I'd be at the Capitol, and it was before we had actually met, and I was talking about Informed Choice Washington with some people, and they said, Oh, you mean my family, my choice? I said, no, Informed Choice Washington. Well, do you know Sharon Hannock? I'm like, no, who's Sharon Hannock? And, and of course, and finally we met up and we we saw all that we had in common, our two groups. And you and I would sit sometimes side by side waiting to testify mm-hmm. against a bill. And, um, and we yeah. won some of those back in those days. And it seems to be getting worse and worse. The, the numbers of common sense... Uh, of traditional values, you know, honoring yeah. the family. Those folks are getting smaller and smaller in Olympia. Yeah, the government wanting to be a nanny, care for the children. We're moving into, a, you know, a brave new world or um, 1984. So, Catherine, um, do you, you were explaining to me earlier that some legislators in Oregon have actually left the Capitol in defiance of a certain law jeopardizing their future political careers in order to not vote on this bad bill? That's correct. So because in our Senate, the group that's pushing this bill, which um, rightly or wrongly, it's the Democrats to, Mm -hmm. to a person, right? Yeah. 
And the Republicans, I think there's one or two exceptions, one who voted for it or will vote for it, or did vote for it, sorry, excuse me, in the House. There are no senators sitting that are Republicans who want to vote for this bill. They're very concerned about the issues involved in parental rights. And also the fact that this then becomes, again, a sanctuary state for runaways, and then the taxpayers in Oregon have to pay for full gender-affirming surgeries for these children from other states if this bill passes. Um, it also includes that full abortion services at any point in pregnancy for any age child with the provision that the child has to state in writing that they want their parent notified. So there's many different reasons that this is a particularly awful omnibus compilation of a lot of things that many of us are deeply disturbed over. And they've taken turns walking out, right? So they couldn't achieve quorum because here we have to have two thirds sitting in order to vote. Mm -hmm. So all business has been stopped and you're not hearing a lot of reporting on it. You hear some and they say, oh, the Republicans are being unreasonable and they're, you know, blocking legislation that's needed and they're blocking health care. They're blocking, you know, um, reproductive care. And yeah, they call it by other names. It's funny. I was a flaming liberal in my youth, okay, to my <laughs> father. Yeah. I am now apparently a far right-wing conservative. But what I want to say is my positions haven't changed on anything. Yeah. Not on yeah. anything. <laughs> I know. Isn't that funny? The land went like that, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm still here. And, and my position, and this is just personal. This is not anyone else's position. I don't expect anyone else to agree with me. But my own personal opinion was that the Supreme Court got it right way back when with Roe v. Wade. That's my opinion, right or wrong. I respect everyone else's opinion. But what I find is that the two ends of these various conversations have gotten themselves into such extreme positions in many cases that we're seeing these breakdowns of systems, yeah. right? If someone says women shouldn't be able to use birth control because you might have had a fertilized ovum. And I'm getting into details here, but this is biology, right? And we have to face it. So therefore, birth control shouldn't be allowed because you might lose a fertilized ovum. And that's a human being. And then you have these other people on the other end of the spectrum trying to argue that a baby at, at seven, eight, or nine months of development is not a baby, is not a human being with some rights of their own as well you know, that, that should be protected. I personally find both positions extreme, but because these camps have now put themselves there, sadly, in some legislatures, they can't function. They cannot come to the table and make rational decisions over very complex human and difficult situations. So the Republicans, because this is, in my opinion, as the one who used to be a flaming liberal and is now a radical right conservative because the landscape shifted, not because my position on anything ever changed, they see it as so awful, and I frankly agree with them that it's awful. They're, they've walked out. They have walked out, and they've been rotating them. And so first it was three senators reached the 10, you know, 10 unexcused, which I find that kind of... Who gets to excuse it? Well, the majority leader of the other side. So, you know, how, how just is that? Um, and then it was four. 
And now I hear that they're using them all and they're just going to continue to walk out regardless of what it does to their political careers in order to stop this because it is so extreme. And what I'm pleading for is for people to consider maybe modifying your extreme positions, no matter what side of the aisle you think you're on or you are on or mm-hmm. where, where you um, fall in these difficult conversations, like the ones about gender. Yeah. It, for me, kind of an oddity for people to think they, they, you cannot choose a biological sex, right? You're born either with two X's or an X and a Y. Gender is another concept, you know, and I remember my daughter who graduated from one of these very liberal schools saying to me, well, there was um, a boy who was not a boy. He's a girl and he's transitioning and he's going to transition fully Mm -hmm. and we need to support him in every way we possibly can. And I asked a few questions about his background. And of course, those of us who have been inside the vaccine issues for years know that our vaccines are contaminated with human DNA, primitive human DNA contaminants. And we have researchers saying that there's enough in there to to cause actual gender confusion. So I think one of the first things we should be doing is looking at the causes of gender confusion. If you're born in a female body and you feel that you're a male, the MMR apparently has male DNA. It's interesting that suddenly we have an uptick in little girls who feel don't feel like little girls. But I would say I never felt like a little girl. I felt like a person. And I didn't know myself as a a female at all. And I was terribly uncomfortable with puberty. I was never interested in dresses or dolls. If someone had proselytized to me and said, you can choose your gender, I would have chosen male in an instant. They had way more freedom than I did as a girl. Way better toys, right? They, they had the better toys. They climbing trees. I was such a tomboy. I'm with you. There's 100%. no tomboys anymore. You know, so, Me as yeah. well, right? I, I was always hanging out with the boys because they were doing interesting stuff, right? And then Tom girls as well. But it was, it's through my lived experience. It's post-puberty. It's after your hormones kick in that suddenly, oh, those kind of annoying boys became interesting, right? Or it's through yeah. giving birth to your daughter or your your son and, and nursing them that you know you're a woman. That's how yeah. you really find out you're a woman. Right. So to take this away from these kids, that they will yeah. never have an opportunity to know what that is. And they haven't even gone through puberty yet in some of these yeah. cases. Anyway, so I think there's a lot right. of pieces of this conversation But in the political arena, I'm just so shocked, frankly, at the lack of biological understanding, the lack of wisdom, the lack of maturity in some of these conversations. The other issue that really bothers me is that they couch things in such language that no one who reads the bill would have any idea what that bill will actually make happen. Now, that for me is the the critical piece in all this. If you read that bill, it doesn't say anywhere in it, a 10-year-old can go get an abortion and the parents will never know unless the child asks in writing. But when you unpack the meaning of all those phrases in the law, in their legal structures that, that have been created, that's what it means. Even the people who brought the bill in committee didn't understand that that's what it meant and, and gasped audibly when 
someone asked the question and an attorney answered and said, yes, that is what it means. And, and that's also because it's like a, a jigsaw puzzle where laws are made. There's this part here and there's that part there. And when you put the whole puzzle together, we have what we have. But right. yeah, years ago, 2018-19, there was the insurance law. And, and no one really quite understood what that was saying, exactly what you're, you're stating. But that was a law that said that a 13-year-old could have an, a procedure done, and the insurance company was not to notify the parents. So that right. was one yeah. of those slippery slopes in medical. Um, you know. This is getting really, um, I'm sorry, but it seems intentionally difficult and devious to understand. And there is an agenda that is being rolled out in many places. This, you know, decriminalizing the hiding of a, a, a body of a, of a child, you know, within the first year. And then I've read pieces coming out of Europe. They're talking about trying to make doctors who have moral and religious objections to late term abortions more comfortable with the procedure by basically forcing them into doing it. I mean, I believe everyone should be able to live their conscience. I don't want a doctor forced into doing a procedure he or she disagrees with. I I don't ever want to see a person forced into a procedure that they disagree with. And I certainly want to make sure informed consent always, always is number one. And the Hippocratic Oath, frankly, do no harm. We're now getting providers and consumers. And so even if it's incredibly harmful, if somebody wants it, they say, well, they want it. So they have a right to it, right? It's, it's their right. Well, doctors used to be trained to do no harm. Mm-hmm. So if a doctor in their wisdom, experience, studies, research, training, believes a procedure is harmful, they should not be forced into doing it. We're in a situation where they will be. But it, what, and I 100% everything you're saying, um, but what's really even creepier here is it's, it's so one-sided because if what that person is asking is not standard of care, and I'm doing air quotes here for those on the radio, right. if it's not standard of care, they won't do it for you. Even if you present, which, you know, I won't bore my listeners with all my examples, even if what you are requesting is safer and more effective, they will not give it to you because it's not standard of care, right? Yeah. So it, it just the whole thing is really meant to cut humans out of it. And we're down to two minutes. So I want to spend, and then we're going to take a break. We're going to let Sharon go so she can get on the road home without too much traffic. But then Kathleen's going to hang out with me in the next hour. But Sharon, one more time, where do we go to get information about the referendum and then the two initiatives? The referendum is at reject5599.com. And I think in another week or so, we'll have more information on that. But right now, you can at least sign up to get information. And the for the initiatives, it will be letsgowashington.com or letsgowa.com. And there might be a couple more initiatives coming down the pike. But right now, we know that there's a police pursuit. And most important, the one I love is the parents' rights. That is our offensive move to start making good law for our families. 
That is so wonderful. And then if somebody wants an all-encompassing website where they can find you, Sharon. MyFamilyMyChoice.org. MyFamilyMyChoice.org. This is so fabulous. And, you know, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day for driving to the studio. You got to meet my Nathan there in studio. Um, so we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to have more news from the Pacific Northwest. You've been listening to 1150 AM KKNW um, and Informed Life Radio. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to Informed Choice Wa. .org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody show me, Hello and welcome back to an Inform Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and TV and streaming to Facebook and streaming to Twitter. So glad you are here with us. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. And with me in studio for this next hour, well, not in studio, so I'm in Tennessee. She's in Oregon. But we've got Catherine Green, the wonderful head of the Oregon chapter of Children's Health Defense. And, and you know, how many hats do we wear here, Catherine? I'm also uh, one of the leaders of the Tennessee chapter of Children's Health Defense. And, and you know, we kind of have our hats everywhere. And we we want to explain, can you, I talk too much, don't I, Catherine? It's <laughs> in there somewhere. But I want to explain before we get going here that as mama bears as we are, we wear hats, we take all of our hats off and we go fight bills or promote bills, right? right. So <clears throat> a lot of the conversation that we're having today 
<clears throat> is Bernadette and Catherine not leaders of nonprofits? It's <clears throat> it's Mama Bears talking about citizen grassroots activism that we do <clears throat> and that needs to happen. Sorry about my voice. That's okay. I, I think it's also our life experiences as women, right? Amen. Mm -hmm. to be, be able to talk about what we've experienced as women in the course of our lifetimes, what we've experienced as mothers, if we mm -hmm. have children, what we have witnessed friends and family and loved ones going through and how we work to prevent harm because yeah. really that is our goal is to prevent harm. And I try to speak to legislators and parents and, you know, people in the community from that level. Mm -hmm. We all want to support our kids. You know, the, the best line of defense that children have in this world are their parents. Their parents mm -hmm. love them and look after them. I'm not saying there aren't exceptions where parents are, are, you know, sadly a problem in their child's life, but most parents, they love their kids more than anything else in this world. And so they're working hard to protect them, to give them every advantage, to give them a good home life. And so mm -hmm. we've learned things through lived experience. And we're watching laws and bills and agendas come down the pike that our wisdom says, okay, this is not beneficial or conducive to human health. And there's right. a problem here we're ignoring. Mm -hmm. I think that's a piece of this. What's causing this? You know, you looked at the explosion of autism and they still don't want to face the fact this is an environmental cause. This is not mm -hmm. a genetic cause. You don't get epidemics from genetics, right? Exactly. Yep. So they don't want to look at the cause because the people that are involved in, you know, covering up and closing down this conversation, they have some guilt in this from my personal opinion, right? They, their hands are in the pot. They're in the pharma pie. And yeah. that's where they make their money. And so pharma does not want to be held accountable for its behavior in this area. Just like there's other possible environmental contaminants that could be at fault here in, to some degree. But uh, acetaminophen oh. is a big one. Acetaminophen, Tylenol, everybody yeah. should read, read their labels and go study that product before you take it, especially if you're pregnant and especially before you give it to a child. In my opinion, we've got enough evidence and we have for the past 20, 30 years that acetaminophen should be behind the counter at a pharmacist. It should not be on the shelf for just anybody to take. It's one of the leading causes of death by liver failure in the United right. States. And um, it's a nephrotoxin. It's also a nephrotoxin. So yeah. children have gone into kidney failure because their parents have given, one parent gave the Tylenol and the other one didn't know. It, you know, it happens. This is a dangerous drug and it's used like it's, you know, sugar, sugar water. And yes. it also apparently opens pathways and makes the aluminum in the vaccine more bioavailable to the brain to do damage. Yes. So, and, and doctors for years, when children had reactions to vaccines, said give them Tylenol, right? So yeah. they are the ones that are guilty without realizing the connection. They didn't do that intentionally, of course, right. but farm is involved. There's also Stephanie Seneff has done some amazing work about glyphosate mm -hmm. and it's possible yeah. how it could cause autism. There is also the other things that correlate with a huge uptick and, and one is ultrasound and another one is yeah. plastic water bottles and another one is nicotinoids. But too many parents have said, my child was fine. My child took vaccines. My child regressed and has never been the same. 
So we need to listen to the parents. This disrespect of the human being's lived experience by all the official yeah. room, right? right? That's offensive behavior. It is really offensive to all those parents. Yeah. Same thing when you say children go through fads or stages or, you know, rough patches in development. I don't know anyone my age who enjoyed puberty. I don't care if it was a boy or a boy. None of us liked it. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable. It was at times humiliating for a woman. Um, the boys, I can remember their embarrassment when the bo- when their voices would break, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, they went through other stages of development that they were uncomfortable with, you yeah. know, their, their t-shirts, their chests. You know, there were times the boys were not happy with what that looked like either. Yeah, yeah. So this is awkward. And it's a it's an adult. It's a parent who says, look, I got through it. Likely you will too. Yeah. Now, if, if an adult wants to take radical drugs and surgeries and they've got a healthcare provider who says, I'm willing to go for it and I think it's in your best interest and this is an honest choice, hey, all hands off. That's their choice, right? But As long as it's fully informed, right? That, and then right. so much of what is done is not fully informed. If you're told, if you go on this, we don't know if, you, if it's right. reversible. We don't know if you're going to get cancer because of shutting down this and that. We right. don't know. We don't know. And then, of course, there are the risks we do know. So people need to be given fully informed consent. That um, is the biggest ticket of all. If they listen to all the risks, all the things that could happen, and then looked at the odds of this working for them. Yeah. You know, I don't, I, we discussed this once before, yeah. Bernadette, but I bred thoroughbred horses, right? And so mm-hmm. when you have all this money tied up in, in this very expensive bloodstock, and you've got an issue, or you want to get a horse pregnant or in foal that's having trouble, or whatever it is, you've got a racehorse with a sore leg, or, you know, you have a horse that has chronic colics or whatever you're dealing with. And you talk to your vet and you say, what can we do? And they come up with these great ideas, right? (laughs) At least that's the way they sell them. This is a sales pitch. If you can pull out from them the information of A, what it's going to cost, B, what the likely possible negative consequences could be. And finally, the big picture item, Mm-hmm. What is the likelihood it's going to make this problem go away? Mm-hmm. If you actually get that information, in most cases, you'll say, oh, no. Oh, no. A, it's really expensive. B, it entails some really big risks. But the final piece, in most cases, the odds of it solving the problem are actually much lower than you would have thought. Yeah. You know, something like a third or two thirds don't do well. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. then why would I put the horse through it? And why right. would I, right? Same thing with ourselves in the medical procedures. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, and, and the, the drugs, the, um, the whole category of drugs for depression that they use to treat anxiety and sleeplessness and so many other issues. Um, I, I was, I'm going down the deep dive because here in Tennessee, we're going to do a massive education campaign on these SSRIs, SSNIs, and there's others, but many of them have black box warnings of that, you know, everything it can do. Um, I mean, these things are horrific, what they can do. And, but here is the crazy thing in, in doctor's experience for about 20% of people for a short time, they feel a bit better on these drugs before they begin to feel nothing. And then they feel bad. And then they take at least five years or more to get off of the drugs and, and getting off of them causes these 
other horrible health issues as well as, you know, tendencies to suicidal, homicidal ideation. Excuse me? Why would anybody choose that as their first option? If There's no that? proof. There is no proof that these things work, that they do anybody any good whatsoever. There is no evidence that long-term no. this helps people, right? Right, and yeah. And I lost multiple friends, okay, with SSRIs. Oh, and Suicide, wow. and those that just die in their sleep, too. And they cause unknown. You know, it's early SADs, right? It's early SADs. They didn't have their cute label for it. Yeah. But these were people on, you know, whether it was Prozac or whatever was the drug of the day, but yeah. on fairly significant doses, these were people who struggled with depression. They gave them lots of it. They added more drugs in mm-hmm. and they go to bed one night and they don't wake up and never found a real cause of death. And yeah. I've seen it over and over and I've actually seen it. And I, I know people who have used them in a rough patch, right? Yeah. But they knew they couldn't stay on them. So within weeks or months, they were off. They were doing everything they could to get off those drugs and then to address the root cause of their depression or yeah. anxiety or whatever it is that they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's terrible to give these to kids. Oh, and yeah. I, it really should not. In fact... Um, I'm trying to share here. I'm not in a, on a computer that lets me share. I've got it behind there. If um, There we go. Thank you. I think Nathan helped me out here. Um, there was just this brand new uh, paper out by Peter Gocha. Right? I think that's how you pronounce his name, formally of the Cochrane collaboration. And then David Healy, who's been an expert uh, writing and talking and testifying about these drugs. They went and got the original clinical trials, including the data that um, was not provided to the FDA before licensing. And after reanalyzing all the clinical data for Prozac, they found that it was neither safe nor effective. In the original clinical trial, they, I forget how many suicides there were, I think maybe four that were not reported to the FDA. So, you know, this is massive. Yeah. These are career criminals, in my opinion. We're dealing with career criminals. When you look at these studies and and when you listen to the editors of our leading journals who who have retired and said, you can no longer trust any study, right? Because- Half to two thirds to three quarters, you know, are fully corrupted by the influence wielded by the forces that are paying for them, right? And yeah. the data is bad. If you try to reproduce it, it it's sloppily done. There's outright errors. There's omission yeah. of data. They change the parameters. They cut it right off when you know the problem is going to manifest. We over, have to over yeah. again. Yeah, we have to we have to say, Catherine, when whenever we discuss this, it's so very important before you start or before you stop any of these drugs we're talking about in the class of anti-anxiety, depression drugs. Please, please, please do your research and find a reputable doctor that you trust to help guide that decision, because it's it is just as dangerous, if not more so, that time period following trying to stop it, tapering yourself off there, you're going to go through a time period where you're going to need the medical and emotional support of a good system, you're going to need your family support, you're going to need counselor support, and, and, you know, and a good doctor, because unfortunately, these companies make these products, 
And it's really easy to get somebody to, to take it, but then they don't do any research to find out how to safely stop taking it. And when it comes to many of these drugs, you're probably in most danger. Um, well, you're in the most danger when you first start it, the first couple of months, and then when you try to stop it. Okay, so I, I just want to encourage everybody, healing is possible, recovery is possible, but please uh, um, do some research, build yourself a support team um, so that when you, you know, when you decide to make this healing journey, you've got a support team to go on. And, and while I'm no doctor, right, and I'm not giving medical advice Me on it, you have to find, as as Bernadette said, truly qualified and trustworthy and capable healthcare professionals to support you through these things. But I just mm -hmm. lost a friend. She was dealing with very, very difficult circumstances, yeah. but she was getting off of these drugs mm -hmm. and her own life. Yeah. That, you know, there we've, we really need better structure around if these drugs are going to stay on the market, which I really hope they don't, I don't believe they should ever have been licensed. There's people have depression and they have anxiety. Healing modalities exist. Right. Um, many of them have nothing to do with pharma products. They're exactly. about true healing, gut healing, um, counselor healing, you know, situational healing. There's many modalities that can get true healing of whatever it is traumatic thing that you're going through. Um, how? And go ahead. One thing I, I watched one girl in my daughter's class years ago who had terrible problems with depression and anxiety. I mean, serious, serious, horrible depressions with anxiety and and just she suffered terribly and being in my daughter's class my daughter suffered watching her suffer i mean it's just a terrible thing to see a, a friend a child an adult whoever suffering with this what i realized when i met her one time in the mall she was snow white like snow white skin i don't believe she ever stepped out into the sunshine so i kind of wonder what her vitamin d levels were and she had the habit of constantly applying aluminum deodorant to all her skin Oh no! Not want to perspire, you know. They're they're in that puberty age, and they're very uptight about their appearances and anything about their body and anything about perspiration. And I thought, dear Lord, the the child has ruined her health. She's loaded with aluminum from you know inside and out, top to bottom. This and is no vitamin D. Vitamin T is depression and no vitamin D. Mm -hmm. I, I would be out of my mind, right? right. And this right. kid, she's smaller body weight, smaller organs, you know, she's not getting exercise. She's not processing any of the toxins. And I don't see there's any way you could get your, your, get that off of, you know, out of your system, so to speak. And people just don't understand. And parents don't understand where the risks really lie in our society yeah. all too often. Yeah. And what we need. You know, we need, my mother said, you know, I'm born 1960. And so now I'm an old goat, right? On some level. My mother was born 1919. Okay. Oh, wow. They grew up in a very different world. Yeah. It was clean on many levels, right? Yeah. They grew up on farms in upstate New York and they had the windows open upstairs at night in the wintertime and snow on the blankets and they grew their own food. I mean, it really was a different world, but the rules, the same identical rules still apply get your rest, eat right, get your exercise, and you'll be healthy. Yeah, yeah. You get good 
nutrition, if you get good exercise, if you're outdoors, if you get vitamin D, if you do something you love, right, that's creative or, or life supporting, this yeah. is going to help these kids way more than all these, sorry, but damn drugs that they're putting yeah, in. Yeah, you can't them. cut. We're on AM radio, so let's watch right. that. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me. Darn drugs. Yeah, darn. Okay, there. That's better. Um, darn it. Yeah, I'm with you. And I forget, you know, Catherine and I are so funny because we get talking. I mean, I almost forgot I'm on the radio here. So I'm just having <laughs> fun talking with Catherine. But I, we've got somebody waiting on the phone. Yeah. We've got Carrie on the phone. And I want to bring her on because tomorrow finally is this big, amazing event um, that we've been talking about happening in Wenatchee, Washington. Um, it is, well, Can if we can uh, bring her on, it's, uh, I think it's just, um, oh, him, Carrie's a him, sorry. I didn't realize that. See, I, I'm just seeing the, the name. I knew somebody named Carrie's coming on. <laughs> bring yep, him on. Get my pronouns right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I'm gonna, I gotta pull that up on my end. What are, uh, yeah, go ahead and bring that up. Um, are we there? Hello? Yes. Can Hello, you Bernadette. hear me? This is Carrie. I'm not Hi, can you hearing hear me? anything. Well, the event is, um, COVID betrayal, a path forward. Um, no, hold on. Is that the right one? Yeah. Tomorrow. COVID yeah. betrayal. Path forward. Hello, I have in Spokane, but that's it's actually in Wenatchee, or is it in Spokane? No, no it's in Spokane. No, it's in Spokane. Yeah, I'm confusing myself with all these things that are happening and have happened in the past. So, Carrie, hello, welcome to an Informed Life Radio. Well, thank you, Bernadette. It's a pleasure to be talking to y'all. Enjoyed listening yeah. to you and Catherine. Yeah, well, we just get gabbing, don't we? We can't, nobody can get a word in edgewise. So. <laughs> um, so, you know, you are another one of the individuals that's working to help bring this event on. Um, once you remind, some right. of our listeners have heard about it, but once you go ahead and tell us more about it. Okay, we've got uh, a number of local um, medical and um, first responders and other people that are going to be talking about, and I break it down differently than some of the other guys do, I, I talk about harms, helps, and hopes. And some of the doctors will be talking about the harms, what everybody experienced in shutdowns of schools and churches, the isolation with families, and, um, and largely also to your point that you guys were talking about in that, you know, Big Pharma with all their medications kind of led to what we think, you know, corporate care. And we've got uh, one of the doctors is going to be talking about that then as well, Dr. Ammerling, who's a mm -hmm. national doctor. And he's going to be talking about how we've lost the art of medical practice. And, uh, and I've never heard, and I, I'm sure you're in the same boat I am because I'm older than you are, I'm sure. But whenever has... The government told doctors what they can and cannot prescribe to help their patients. And that's one right. of the we'll be talking about. I've never heard of that. And that's probably one of the harms of people because there, there were some medications that were effective, known to be effective, 
but could not be prescribed. Right, and you and can I say think... ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine on my, this radio show. We we those are not banned <laughs> words on this show. <laughs> you can and say studies it. Studies around the world were very successful with those those drugs, and you know, and they get mm -hmm. perceived and and thrown by the media as bad things, which weren't bad. So we've got no. doctors that are going to be talking about the harms, and and that's one of the things we'll talk talk about. Um, the help, you know, some doctors, Dr. Renata Moon and Dr. Jason Kinley will be talking about, okay, you have it, and much like Catherine was talking about with the aluminum poisoning and those kinds of things, if you do have the vaccine, are there some things you can do? Because myocarditis and pericarditis are, are issues that a lot of people are either experiencing or afraid of. Mm -hmm. And so we've got some of the, uh, the medical help with that to try to say, okay, here's what you can do now moving forward. And then also um, one of the things you talked about too is your support teams, and that's going to be kind of the end of the hopes. I think mm -hmm. we've got a number of um, really good community involvement opportunities that we'll be highlighting there. Um, some Christian, you know, Flashpoint, uh, TPUSA is kind of um, also on a Christian bent, but Freedom mm -hmm. Alliance and Silent Majority, the Children's Health Defense, I think you were talking about also, mm -hmm. uh, Moms for Liberty, and those kind of groups. And that's where we think, you know, when you talked about support teams, you were kind of more in the individual, my doctor, my pharmacist, my this. Mm -hmm. What we really think is you need to connect with a group of people to know, one, you're not alone, and two, mm -hmm. to really get motivated for action, because that's what we, we really want to get people out or get out of this conference tomorrow is, okay, now people, what do you do? Yeah. What can you turn to and how can you be involved because it's, there's nothing you can do and nothing I can do. It's just like during the shutdowns. Any yeah. one restaurant could not shut down and survive. And unfortunately, that's what government and everybody was able to do is isolate people, business, mm -hmm. schools, and, and everything. And we're all vulnerable then when we're alone. Yeah. Exactly. Sorry, and now and, you got me talking all the time. I'm sorry. No, that. it's wonderful. <laughs> I, you know, I, I love your insight. Everybody we've had on to talk about this event has added so much wonderful information and, and a slightly different perspective. Um, and this is what community is about. This is what dialogue is all about. This is what has been missing. Right. This, Sadly, this was missing in society before COVID. And I, I, I say this ad nauseum, we have learned how to be communities again. We're learning how to be American citizens again, right? We were complacent. We didn't know our neighbors, but now we're understanding why it's important to have community, to have dialogue. We don't have to agree on everything, but we have to have right. a voice and we have to pay attention and we have to be engaged and it's not easy. Um, but if we all did more and we stood together, if everybody had who saw some nonsensical command come down from on high, <laughs> just say, no, I ain't doing that. They wouldn't have been no, able to pull it off. None of it was legal. So, you know, you just said, I ain't doing it. I mean, we all washed our hands, right? 
I think you'd, you'd be hard pressed to find a single sane person on this planet who didn't by this time know that you can help slow the spread of disease by making sure you wash your hands, especially after you blow your nose, use the restroom or whatever, right? We know this. We're willing to do common sense things. If you're symptomatic, you stay home. We're all willing to do that, you know? Um, or, you know, we try to. If you're poor, sometimes it's hard to stay home and you don't have sick leave, but that's a whole other issue. But these other right. things that have no science behind them that are not common sense that, I mean, I remember once the only time during all of COVID that I ever wore a mask for about five minutes in a ER situation, um, only to see a, a friend, a loved one who was in the hospital. And they threatened to throw me out of the hospital if I didn't put on a mask. So I put on a Josh Coleman vaccine uh, injury is not rare mask, which is very flimsy. And then I proceeded to rub my hands all over it, put my hands up underneath the mask. Did they throw me out? No, because I was complying. I had a mask on. They couldn't throw me out because I was spreading germs and I was smearing my bacteria all over everything in the room and everything I touched, although I... I actually didn't touch anything in the room. I was just <laughs> touching myself, but oh, that sounds bad. But, um, but you know, so common sense. No, it was compliance. All they wanted was compliance. And so, I, go ahead, Catherine. I, I'm sorry, but I think there's real reasons for this, right? This this was a test okay, on some level on. to see if we would comply, and sadly, too many people did. And yeah. honestly, we need to expand critical thinking. We need to say your job is critical thinking. Your job, whether you're an elected politician or a doctor or a patient or a student or a teacher or a school administrator is critical thinking. Read this for yourself and see if it makes sense. If it's illogical, if it's arbitrary, if it's capricious, if it's harmful. So the masking of children, this really infuriated me here in Oregon. It is absolutely child abuse. Yes. We all yes. know it if our brains are working, okay? Yes. And yet these parents and these, God help us, some of our coaches let these, force these children to compete in trials. And they would pass out. Yeah. Fully masked. Yeah. Well, I, when, in Wenatchee, like I made a mockery out of the masks, you know, and I, I was up there, you know, wiping my bottom and doing everything kindergartners do. And the whole point was, I was a substitute teacher and I lost my job because I didn't get the vaccine. But you see these young kids doing the things to their mask, you know, where their hands had been prior. And the teacher will say, okay, go wash your hands. And they've already got everything all over their mask. And then they'll remind them, but make sure you put your mask up over your nose. So yeah, it's more so important, you know, what they're wiping their hands on or keep yeah. the mask up over their nose. When you see young kids like that doing the things they do and teachers and administrators, principals and everybody else telling them, get your mask on, you know that that's not just like you're saying, Catherine. It wasn't what, whether the mask is efficacious or not. It was comply. Yes, comply. And again, doctors had to comply. I mean, if you listen to Dr. Paul Merrick, how say at his hospital, they took ivermectin away from him. In the end, they took vitamin C away from him. And he had to watch his patients die. Because in the hospital, as a doctor, he can't give a drug, they won't allow him to, it's locked up. And he, yeah. I mean, this is criminal. We need to yeah. understand that there has been real criminality. 
And unless those of us who are conscious of it actually hold, insist on accountability, it's not going to happen. I mean, we're starting to see a little tiny bit of it, awareness of it. We had a judge, a Supreme Court judge, recently write an article as an addendum to a, something they denied to hear, but saying they've never seen such widespread assault on civil liberties across the country as we just witnessed in the past three years. So we need to keep pushing on this, in my opinion, on all levels of this as to what went wrong, how long it's been going wrong, who is making these choices for us that are so harmful, and how we can hold them accountable and how we can remove them from power and make sure that the people who are writing our laws are writing laws that support our rights, because that's our government's job, right? Our government was created by the people, for the people, to ensure our freedoms and our rights. And instead, our government is destroying them. Yeah. So, Amen, Catherine. So if if you're listening to this um, live, tomorrow is the event, May 20th, in Spokane. You can go to informchoicewa.org, look on the events tab, and it's in the drop-down menu that you can go register. It's only 10 bucks. It's 10 bucks just so they can help cover the cost of the venue. Um, and and there's still tickets available, Carrie, is that correct? Yes, yes there are. And they'll okay. be available at the, at the door as well. At the door as well. Okay, so um, can you, do you have in front of you the uh, time it starts and the location, please? Yes, it starts at 1 o'clock in the afternoon goes from one to five, but the doors are open at noon because we have a number of tables of some of the sponsors as well as, you know, we were talking about the community groups like Flashpoint, TPUSA, Freedom Alliance, and some of those will have tables so you can go around and visit the tables and get more information even before it starts then. And we will have some snacks. There'll be water and cookies or something too to help you get through the afternoon then. Well, that is so wonderful, Carrie. It, you know, if I wasn't um, about a three and a half hour day drive, g- driving straight through, <laughs> I would be there. But <laughs> I would be rooting you on. I'm so proud of you. Uh, you know, all of you for pulling this together. And you know, this is the second sort of similar event on this vent on this vein of of individuals coming together, sharing experience. And then figuring out where do we go from here and what do we do to make sure this doesn't happen again. So let's um, just encourage people, get to Spokane. You got time. It's not until one o'clock tomorrow afternoon. Um, You know, go find kindred spirits, go get active. And then, you know, maybe somebody else in another part of the state will do the same thing. And and everybody will become empowered um, by this. And that's what we're hoping, that there's enough people there that we can pass this on and even another event in Spokane. And uh, I just also want to mention John Stockton, and hopefully most people know who John Stockton is, the basketball player. He's going to be highlighting, and and he's a a great speaker that advocates for a number of different um, groups, but he's uh, Mm -hmm. very dynamic. We, We like John a lot. It's awesome that John is going to be there. And I know zooming in is the wonderful Ryan Cole, the pathologist who is just doing amazing work under intense pressure. So you've got a great lineup of speakers uh, there, Carrie. So thank you for all your work. Good luck with the event tomorrow. Um, Thank you so much for calling in. Well, thank you. It was a great pleasure talking to you, Bernadette. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye now.
Thank you. Wow. So, yeah, tomorrow in Spokane, go to uh, informedchoicewa.org, look on the events tab, and you can get all the information there. Um, you know, Catherine, we kind of want to dedicate this hour to a couple of things going on in the area. One of the things that I want to um, bring up, let me see, where was that? Did we ever talk about that? I'm going to talk about that. I already talked about that state policy. Oh, one thing that's really interesting now, um, and it's a little uh, for highlight of what we're going to bring on the show next week. Um, but um, Washington State, you remember in 2019, we lost the personal exemption to the MMR through a really um, bad fight with um, a Department of Health was was spreading fear. And you know, all of this happens because of spreading fear. Let me see if I can find that. It's oh, I'm not getting it to share, but anyway, the computer I'm on doesn't share well. So never mind. So anyway, th there's a study that we're going to be dissecting with Carl Kanthek next week where they came out and are trying to make the claim. Now, get this that removal of the personal exemption to the MMR in Washington state led to, according to their study, a decrease in 41% of exemption use for the MMR. I want to see the data. We've requested the full study so we can look at it and see how they did this data manipulation here. But they also admit that religious exemptions increased 367%. So it's kind of interesting that 41% decrease in exemption overall to MMR, but a 367% increase in religious exemption. So we're going to be tearing that apart, seeing what's going on. We know that they want to sort of use this as an example of, gee, isn't it su successful that you increase vaccination rates if you remove the personal exemption? But the individuals in, in 2019 who had measles was an, what I call an inbreak. It was an isolated cultural community, a religious community. They had their own school. They had families with six to 11 kids and cousins. They all let the kids get the measles. They kept it. They self-quarantined, self-isolated. We have a letter from the pastor explaining the situation. However, the state of Washington and the Department of Health didn't release any of that. They pushed fear throughout the state. Um, and the individuals who caught the measles, their children were using religious exemptions, not personal exemptions. But the fear was put into legislators that you have to remove the personal exemption to MMR. It made no sense, but it worked. Fear works. Intimidation works with the legislators. Um, and now, of course, they're going to try to use COVID and disease to remove our right to say no. And I tell you, Catherine, as as the more and more pipeline MMR shots, the are not vaccines for, for other diseases come down the pipeline, they're going to try to force those on our children for, for your traditional pediatric um, diseases they target. Absolutely. So first, yeah, there's several things come to my mind. I grew up in a family of seven children. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm the youngest. Everybody got measles. This was not a big deal. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you have lifelong immunity that is completely durable and robust. And you also apparently have 
lower cancer rates if you've had measles, if you've had chickenpox, if you've had mumps, if you've had your, quote, childhood diseases. The world I grew up in, no child had diabetes, no child had cancer, and no child had heart disease, and they certainly didn't drop dead on the playing fields. Yeah. I first off want to challenge the assumption that more vaccines and more suppression of disease is a good idea. Yeah. I'm not convinced it is. I don't think we've ever seen that the kids who get MMRs and don't get measles, there are those who get MMR and get measles. Some of the big outbreaks have been in the fully vaccinated. We've seen this. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. one of the, the big measles scares was mostly among vaccinated people. The problem is the vaccines wear off and then you can catch measles later on in life. And it's much more dangerous than if you have it as a child. So we're not Mm -hmm. looking at the actual risk benefit of our public health policies. We're not allowed to question vaccine science because it's not science. It's a religion. And you're a vaccinologist. If you say vaccines are inherently good and cannot do harm, and they're always beneficial, kind Mm -hmm. of like saying, You ate your Wheaties, right? Yeah. Okay. It's magical thinking to me. They refuse to look at the hard science on it. Secondly, there's other issues going on here. So if they've increased MMR vaccination uptake, have they also increased autism? Have they increased autoimmunity? Have they increased ADHD? Have they increased asthma? I mean, we have to look at risk benefit on everything and we're not doing it. There are these little narrow windows of conversation. This bothers me. Right. Well, it's been it's been government public health policy, as you know, Catherine, for decades that you no matter how factual, you cannot allow criticism of vaccines to exist or it undermines their vaccine policy. I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> no, we don't care. I mean, we don't want anybody, right. I mean, but we don't want anybody to die of disease. We don't want anybody to die or have the quality of life undermined by vaccine products either. We just want fully informed consent. And, you know, it's like, okay, ivermectin, for example, like people should have the choice to be able to choose this safe and effective drug that has five mechanisms of action to prevent an infection with SARS-CoV-2 virus. It binds with a spike protein. It binds with your cell receptors. It's anti-inflammatory. I'm not a doctor. I just am telling you the what I read out there, what all the top doctors are telling Congress and European... Yeah. You're reading the research, Bernadette. I'm reading the research. God, God forbid. You're reading yeah. the research. Yeah. And you're making an informed decision for your health. Right. As, as you right. should be able to. And I just don't as- remember my point. What was my point? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the fact that you're not allowed to challenge that more vaccine uptake is a good thing. But I, I, can't, yeah. I can't. See, I can't swallow that. I can't swallow that vaccine hesitancy is necessarily bad. You know? What if it's good? Yeah. The control group, their survey study for the control group's litigation, right, showed yeah. that the healthiest people in America are the fully unvaccinated. Do you yeah. know that there's now a study to attempt to find out why the Amish have better genes than we do? And they're going to try to extract the genes from the Amish and give them to us because they live long and they die of old age. They basically don't have cancer or heart disease. My question wow. is... Um, how come the Amish's, Amish 
their genetics are not damaged. Well, maybe it's because they haven't been injecting products or eating products or ingesting things that damage your DNA. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, but everything is being done to see how they can commercialize it. And you'll see, um, I'm switching gears here a little bit. um, And I apologize. I'm not able to share um, things in a really good way because I'm having computer issues. Everything's hiccuping is how I'm saying it today. Just got (laughs) all my computer stuff. But you're seeing seeing a headline here that says, Governor Inslee vetoes community notice for sexually violent predator relocation. But what I wanted to show you first is yesterday, May 18th, a headline in my Northwest that reads, Governor Inslee signs a new $69.2 billion state budget out of necessity. So he's got this massive state budget, right? That they go on and on what spending, why it needs to be spent so much money, okay? That he signed and said, it's absolutely necessary. But then you go and read this where he line item vetoed Um, it said Governor Jay Inslee has vetoed part of a bill that would have required communities to receive advance notice if a sexually violent predator is relocated there. The governor issued line item vetoes on Wednesday afternoon for parts of Senate Bill 5187, which establishes this year's operating budget. One of the sections that was vetoed addresses community notification with regard to sexually violent predators being placed in what they call LRAs, Less Restrictive Housing Alternatives, by the Washington State Department of Social and Health Services. The proviso would have established a pilot program that would run until 2025. And then um, here's a quote. The department, oh, from the, must be what he um, Struck anyway, quote, the department must provide notice and opportunity to comment to any community in which the department intends to propose placement of a sexually violent predator. Read the section of the bill before the veto. It also stated the DSHS must consult with federally recognized Indian tribes before proposing the the placement of a sex offender there and consider the distance of any LRA from the boundaries of any reservation. In a letter to the legislature, Inslee said that those conditions are, quote, administratively burdensome for the Department of Social and Health Services Special Commitment Center program, while citing less restrictive alternatives in communities throughout the state. So basically, the government, the governor is attempting to claim, let me go back to stop sharing if I can figure out how to do that. And maybe, Nathan, you can help me stop sharing if it's not doing it. Thank you. Um, He's got this massive budget, which he could use to help beef up the staff of the department that needs to do the notifications. Um, Earlier, there was um, an investigation on on this less restrictive housing. Don't quote me on the figures, but it was some it was tens of thousands of dollars that were being given per month per uh, sexual predator to be placed in these neighborhoods in these kind of group housing. And, you know, some people are making $60,000, $70,000 a month to house these sexual predators. And as bad as it is, you know, the legislature passed certain laws that at least provided 
you know, information would have to go to the public in these areas to warn them and to give them a voice against it. And Inslee has just removed that. I, you know, Bernadette, I'm so sorry. The only thing I can say to you is I'm getting the feeling that criminals have way better lobbyists than taxpayers. Oh, hello. Yeah. What the heck? This is very, very concerning. So it's, there is a push, you've seen it, across the uh, certain areas of our country to mm-hmm. decriminalize all sorts of crime, right? Yeah. To make very dangerous, hard drugs available on the streets to our children, and there are no penalties whatsoever. Yeah. In Oregon, we're at the bottom barrel on education, and yet they don't worry about that. They worry about making me pay to do things to children that I deeply disagree with. That's where their focus is. It's not on raising our educational standards or making sure our citizens have informed consent or are able to do their own critical thinking when given difficult choices, right? Right. Um, I just see a push that is tearing at the fabric of our society again and again and again. You know, someone was talking about moral injury in our military by forcing them to take an experimental product, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or face a dishonorable discharge or even incarceration, basically. Mm -hmm. This is a moral injury to me, right? Mm -hmm. People are profiting from hosting violent sexual offenders in communities, Right. I, in, what in, could be the purpose to move them? They're moving them out of high security prisons and putting them in here, I, uh, in, right into society. It's just I, I there. There's no common sense or logic, Catherine. But you know what? We've only got like six more minutes of the show, and okay. I try really hard to not leave our audience on a downer. Okay. Absolutely. So, so problems it, exist, but let's empower people. What are we going to do? So so, go ahead. I'm sorry, but I really think the answer is, as Carrie was saying, we have to come together, right? We have to get informed. As you said, you know, you didn't get involved in politics or government issues until you were over 50. I didn't want to be involved either. What happened in COVID just was too much for me. I could not be involved. I can't watch these things occur. So this has activated all sorts of people that are cells in the human body to go to our legislature and wake them up or remove them and put people in office who will make sane decisions that protect our rights instead of destroy our rights, right? Right. Destroy our businesses, destroy our families, destroy our health. You know, we need to actually make sure they remember they work for us. As you said, it's my capital. It is my capital. I pay the taxes. They must listen to me. I I have to be polite. I have to be respectful. I understand government isn't easy. I've been there. But you have to get engaged. And I firmly believe that once everyone who's aware of what's going on gets engaged in the way that is for them, you're going to see all this insanity vanish, right? Yeah. yeah, They can only occur because we have allowed it to on some level. Exactly. And, you know, it starts with dialogue and it starts with dialogue as close to home as you can. Actually, that's kind of in your home is probably the hardest with especially you have people that don't agree with you and with your family is probably one of the hardest. But we have to have these respectful but difficult conversations. We have to all begin to know our neighbors. Say hi over the fence. Get to know who your neighbor is. So then you get a new neighbor, 
You know, if the government's not going to be telling you who these predators are, you know your neighbors and somebody will tell you that house now is has signed up for the program and they are housing violent predators. So get to know your neighbors and then get your community members talking about these issues. Go to your local committee meetings, your local commissioner meetings, board meetings for the school. Be part of your local community. It doesn't have to overtake your life, but what we have to do as Americans is figure out how it's part of the fabric of our lives. It's not just something out there. It's part of what we do. If everyone would pick one topic, whichever topic speaks to them the most, right, Mm -hmm. and then get active in it and help organize and get to know the other people in your county, in your state, in your town, wherever you are, that that issue is what resonates with them. But I I do, if we have a moment, Bernadette, I'd like Mm -hmm. to talk about the event that we're holding. Yes, yes. Yes. Okay, so... Children's Health Defense Oregon chapter is holding an event. This is our, it's kind of a big special event that we're doing up in the Portland region. It's actually in Oregon City at the Abernathy Center, June 25th. We have some national level speakers coming and it's an all day affair. Starts at 9.30, ends up at eight o'clock or 8.30 in the evening if you stay for the VIP mixer and dinner. Mm-hmm. It includes Daniel Sheehan, who is the attorney of Pentagon Papers and Karen Silkwood and many other major, major events in the 20th century, public interest attorney. We also have Catherine Alston Fitz joining us via Zoom, which is wonderful. She knows more about the agenda than anybody, in my opinion, and how to. Yeah, she's ours, you know. We're going to let you you, have her for a bit (laughs) more with her, but she's Tennessee's, Catherine. (laughs) I realize that. I'm very jealous. I have to tell you. And then we have Amy Bond coming from California. She runs a very, very successful public advocacy group called Parents for the educational rights of kids. It's it's really powerful and effective in California. It shows how much one person and, a, and an organization can accomplish on very difficult topics in the worst of situations, frankly, in many ways, California. And then we also have, um, we have local speakers. We have Stephen Jonkis, who is an attorney who's worked here in Oregon on many of these topics, um, the vaccine mandates on healthcare workers in particular, but there are many others. And he's involved on the legal fronts. We have a local naturopath who's going to talk about what he thinks is coming next, which should be a very interesting conversation. We also have Dr. Mark McDonald, who's coming up from San Francisco. He's a psychiatrist. I think he was the first one to say mass delusional psychosis. It was really what overtook our country and made everybody behave crazily. And then finally, our top speaker, and I hope I haven't left anyone else out, is, I don't think I have, is um, Trisha Lindsay, who is human rights attorney from New York. And boy, is she stunning. Okay. And if she doesn't motivate you, I don't know that anybody on earth could motivate you and show you what one person can accomplish if they're determined and are willing to stand up for our, our rights, for our kids. You know, she was, uh, she, she had a nursing degree, she taught biology, and then she was a teacher, she was in the educational system, and she became an attorney, and now she's a constitutional attorney. And she's fighting all these issues in New York, which really, I mean, we're under huge assault on many of these topics here on the West Coast, but New York really has gotten the brunt of everything, it seems wow. like. Yeah. So, it- yeah, it's a great lineup, and yeah. these people will inspire you. That's fantastic. So they can go to um, the Oregon chapter of Children's Health Defense.org. Yeah. So it's or dot 
childrenshealthdefense.org. And you can find out more information. This is going to be June 25th. Yes. Uh, the wise to securing fundamental freedoms for future generations. I am really kind of jealous of this event. It seems so awesome. I would love to go to that. But just as a quick reminder before we hear the music here. So tomorrow, May 20th in Spokane, uh, COVID betrayal, a path forward. Um, go to inform just informchoicewa.org um, and click on the events tab and you can get information starts at one tomorrow in Spokane. Also want to remind you on June 2nd and 3rd, we the Patriots are having their very first annual conference in Boise, Idaho. So go to we the patriotsusa.org and look for their conference. And again, June 25th in Oregon, um, or.childrenshealthdefense.org. Look for their event. And with that, we hear the music. Catherine, thank you for joining me for this episode of An Informed Life Radio. Um, everybody have a great weekend and we will see you next week. Take care. Thank you for that. Hi, I'm Brian Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PGI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PGI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit pji.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.